may not have been one million dollars, but a spot in the top four is a pretty decent consolation prize. The Lions women prepare for another assault on the finals. If last week against the Saints ranks among our most disappointing performances, the dominant win over the Ds must rank among our most inspiring. Are we good enough to win the whole thing this year? What can we expect from the final series? And how excited is Mike Whiting to finally cover the Gold Coast Suns in some kind of a final series? We'll look at all of that today. Also, a massive talking point for us all year on the Raw Deal has been the Brisbane Lions Academy. Uh, since being launched in 2010, the Academy has brought prospects like Harris Andrews, Eric Hipwood, Jack Payne, Jasper Fletcher, and Kitty Coleman through. But is it doing enough compared to the other club academies, and could it be doing more? Um, former head of the Lions Academy, Luke Curran, is going to join us in studio uh, today for a deep dive into the history of the Academy and the possibilities that could exist for the program um, going forward, which I think, Mike, is our first uh, guest dropping by the Raw Deal studio since uh, Aussie Man, potentially. It's been a while. It is. has been a while. Here. So it's Lee Matthews, Aussie <laughs> yeah, Man, and now Luke Curran. <laughs> the big I, three. The big three. I am looking forward to chatting to Luke. Obviously, yeah. not being tied to the club anymore. I mean, mm. Luke's pretty um, conservative so, sort of character, but I think not being tied to the club gives him a bit more freedom to, I guess, tell us the pros and cons yes, yes. Of, of the academy. Most of the pros, I'm sure it's, it's a great setup, but I'm really looking forward to chatting to him and delving a bit deeper into, yeah, what works and what doesn't. Well, and it's a fascinating time coming into a draft where the Gold Coast have some highly touted academy players coming through. and Many I- would say finally. Well, that's for, for Gold Coast, that's to true. be fair. But you look at, I mean, it, it's so hard to project these things more than a couple of months out, but the, the pipeline does suggest Gold Coast have hit a mm. sweet spot that, that might continue yep. for a while. Um, and Brisbane maybe haven't quite had that that same. Like, it's really hard to say when you have, what, four players, would have been five if Jack was fit, mm. from your academy playing in a grand final side. It's hard to say the academy hasn't worked exactly. well. <laughs> but I don't but, know. There's, yeah, but, but they that's a sentiment, isn't it? Yeah. There is a sentiment about that amongst it is. Lions and, fans. And you said that the and you're right, like the academy started in 2010. Gold Coast came into the competition the next year. Mm. They have not had a lot of success, Gold Coast, with their academy. And I'm, if we're looking at comparison here, which we are, yeah. Gold Coast of what, what one of their high picks, Jack Bowes from Cairns, has now moved on. Mm. They're obviously about to Connor Butterick, who's I think they've got high hopes for Connor Butterick. He's done a couple of knees, unfortunately, early in his career. So we're yet to find out what he can do, but high hopes for him. And now, like you say, it's looking like a bit of a bounty coming Gold Coast, not just this year, but the next couple of years looks quite promising for them as well. So Their women's academy as well. And the women's, of course. Sorry, I I have just spoken about the men's there. So, yeah, my faux pas there (laughs) a little bit when we're about to lord the women's teams for both clubs. Mm. We're about to lord the lines, particularly on this podcast. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the academy is fascinating. Yeah, just how how it works, how you identify talent, how you nurture it. How yeah, mm. it's, there's so much to talk about with Luke. And it'll be great to get a couple of his stories of a few of our you know current superstars I just mentioned um, mm. from his earliest memories of them because each of them he he had a bit of a role with. Uh, so it'll be great to hear you know what what they were like when he first laid eyes upon them. Um, but we are going to start with what was a remarkable uh, Saturday night um, for. for the women at Brighton Homes Arena. Uh, I was actually, I missed it live. I was going to ask Dom, what, <laughs> what were you doing on Saturday night? Well, I was uh, making a rare trip to Heritage Bank Stadium, Mike, <gasps> to see Paul McCartney. Ah, yes, I saw your social media and I knew you yes. were going anyway. But ha- So how was that? Weird to see Heritage Bank Stadium full. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's been four when they played Collingwood. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. No, there was a moment when I looked across the – I was in the upper tier and pretty much every seat in the upper tier was taken. And I thought, you know, I, as we've mentioned, I worked there in the first year. I've gone to many games there. I don't think and I, not to be I've smart, that. but there were some big crowds in that first year. Yeah, there yeah, were. There, there were some very were. big crowds, yeah. I heard rumour is some people came for the Spruker out the front who was yeah, 17. Maybe, yeah, yeah. That that's what I've heard It's anyway. dropped off afterwards, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to take all the credit. Um, but, but yeah, it was obviously, I mean, the, the chance to see a Beatle in the flesh, mm. Mike, to see Paul McCartney there was something I, I couldn't pass up. And I, I would have gone to the Wednesday night gig at Suncorp in Brisbane, but uh, I was on the radio that night. So the only option I had was the Saturday, uh, which meant that I, I did miss this game live. Um, but I was, you know, I think it was while he was blasting out Let It Be, uh, Paul, that I checked the, the score update again at the end and thought, they've, they've done it. This mm. is incredible. So I've gone back and rewatched it. And, and um, I, as I mentioned off the top, one of the most impressive wins I can remember, uh, among many impressive wins in, in the, the women's side in, in their history, and a Probably a real surprise. I mean, we, we were saying last week, Mike, that the tone after that Saints loss was almost, oh, well, not our year. Mm. And now suddenly <laughs> that's shifted completely uh, all over again. We've now beaten the three sides above us on the ladder. We head into a final series, you know, playing Adelaide and Adelaide. We just beat them up here a few, a few weeks ago. That there is genuine reason to believe now. Absolutely. And it's not hyperbole to to say that and it is such a dramatic shift in the space of a week but that's fair i guess the truth's always a little bit in the middle but mm. i went back and thought about that la- that loss to st kilda i didn't think w- i was going over the top at the time and i'm sure most people that listen to this would agree that that was probably the most out of character performance in I-, I think four seasons at least i went back and sort of had a look at some of the I didn't look at the matches. I just looked at the scores to jog my memory and some mm. of the losses in that period. And I thought, no, it's been literally when COVID first hit us, Brisbane played Collingwood at Hickey Park that next weekend and there was no crowd. I think some parents were allowed along. That was when COVID very first hit us before the world yeah, shut down. that's right. Yes. And Brisbane lost that game by four or five or six goals. It was quite a heavy loss. And that was a little bit out of character at the time. That was about the last match that I looked back on and thought, gee, Brisbane were poor that day. And that match had obviously some wild circumstances around us. We were just getting our head around what was about to come. Mm. To go from that to the performance against Melbourne, and I, I'm not shocked that Brisbane won, but the, the manner in which they won, I think, was the most shocking. They did not give Melbourne a sniff. And while Melbourne was theoretically still in the match for quite a lot of it, and even in the last quarter, they had the wind at their back. And you thought, oh, you never know. If they kick a, a quick goal or two at the start of the quarter. But just the flow of play never felt like Melbourne was really in it. Mm. Even in that second quarter when they got level, I think they got their nose in front at one stage on the score. Brisbane dominated general play, so much of it. So that was certainly the best win of the year. And and again, it's hard to line up because they've had so many good victories, but that's as impressive a four-quarter performance as, uh, as I can honestly remember, maybe since the premiership. Yep. Just the totality yep. of the performance was well, so impressive. And uh, Sir Swamp Thing um, sent this out on on Twitter uh, a bit after the game, the, the record of teams against other top eight teams this AFLW season, 
Now, we looked at this stat with the men's um, a bit earlier in the year, which I think it was after the home and away season. Brisbane comfortably had the best um, Mm. record against other teams in the top eight and the top four. And, you know, that that played itself out with them making the grand final and and almost winning it. Um, And the women now have the best record against teams in the top eight, five and zero against other top eight, uh, against other finalists this year, which is remarkable for a season that at times has felt uh, like it, it was struggling to get going. Um, at times it's felt like maybe it'll be a, a development year for, for the women and maybe they'll build to another run. But you look at this evidence of, of five zip against other teams in the top eight, it has to, they'd have to be in, in red hot contention. Absolutely. They are now. Yes. And I think Craig Starsevich said after that Collingwood loss, it felt like there was a little gap to the top teams. Yes. And I think that was fair. And I don't think he was talking down their chances, but that was fair at that stage. But since then, They've beaten Adelaide and they've comprehensively beaten Melbourne. Now, to be fair, Melbourne was missing uh, Paxi Paxman. So she was a late withdrawal Mm. literally just before the bounce. So that's one of their prime movers out. Melbourne knew they had a top two spot sewn up before they came into the match. How much you can weigh that up, I'm not quite sure mentally whether – you know, they were just 5% off. I don't know. I'm not trying to make excuses for Melbourne, but I just wonder how that plays into your psyche heading into a match like that. So not to take an ounce away from what Brisbane did because it was super impressive all over the ground. But I'll just just a little tiny cautionary tale, I guess, there. That that's, Melbourne's probably got another gear to go to as well. They, they can play better, I think. But what we've seen is that that's Brisbane's best footy, I think. There's yep. no doubt about yep. that. And that their best footy is probably as at least as good as anyone's best footy in the comp. So they're a genuine chance now. They're not going to have any fear going to Norwood Oval on Saturday and playing Adelaide. They're not going to have fear playing anyone because they've beaten them all. Yes. Yes. They've beaten Melbourne. They've beaten Adelaide. They've beaten North Melbourne. And they've beaten Gold Coast. So they've beaten the other four teams in the top five Mm. if we want to narrow it right in. And, you know, we look at those losses this year, round one against Richmond. Richmond were a good team last year. Richmond were at full strength. So that was a, a new, a lot of new faces for Brisbane. So you could kind of, you could understand that to an extent. Yep. The Collingwood loss, they kicked themselves out of it. And then, of course, the St Kilda one was the one where we start thinking, oh, is this really their year? But, hey, when their back's against the wall and... They, they've ever since this competition started, Dom, they've loved the underdog day. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. maybe I'd forgotten that. Well, it was much. one of our earliest. I remember what maybe the first episode of the Raw Deal we ever recorded and, and we spent half the episode in the off-season, or maybe it was the second, the off-season of 2017, talking about that, the underdog thing. Mm. This has been the most consistent theme of any club probably in the AFLW has been Brisbane loving being the underdogs. And in that sense, it's almost handy that we've lost a few players every year because it uh, it enables you to be a top team and still go in next season as the underdog. Yeah, they love it. Yeah. They thrive off it. And now we've just seen more evidence of it again. Again, I'm not shocked that they won, but mm. the comprehensive nature of it did make me sit up and just say, wow, like they're, they're a genuine premiership chance now. Now, in games like this, you could talk about pretty much every player on you, the ground. Oh, you honestly could. Yes. I was thinking, I don't think a player didn't do their job. I totally agree. Yeah. But if I asked you to single out just one player to comment on from the match, who's the who's the one you'd want to comment the on? The one I want to comment on is my favourite girl on the team, okay. lady, woman on the team, <laughs> yep. is the captain, Brie Conan. Yeah, had to be Brie. I just... Firstly, she's just a 10 out of 10 human. I just, mm. I love speaking to Brie. I always sort of learn something and think she's a, I can understandably, she's the captain. But in terms of her play, 
Craig Stasevich has understandably put her into the midfield for stints this year. And I've sort of been wondering, oh, when's he just going to settle on putting her back at halfback? She's mm. just that defensive general, like a, I've likened it to like a security blanket for the rest of that back line. Been some new faces in that back line this year who have done exceptionally well, Jen, Jen Dunn and Poppy Bolts in particular. Uh, Jen Dunn, the Irish woman, who I'm going to have a story on this week, has been has just come along in leaps and bounds and Poppy Bolts so young. But these two taller new faces, which Brisbane's just been craving some height in that back line, particularly since Kate Lutkins hasn't played this year. Any, like they're two younger players or two inexperienced players, and I've just thought, when when's Stars going to put Bree Conan back there? He's, mm. he's not sure. He's, he said last week he wishes he had three of Bree, you know, one – Yes, one yes. in the defence, one in the middle and one forward, but obviously yeah. that can't be the case. Anyway, he put her back on Saturday night and we just saw why she is the leader of the club. She was mm. unbelievable. 12 intercept possessions, I think six or seven of them were marks, controlled everything. Bare, I don't know if she lost a contest, she might have lost one all night. And just any time the ball went into that part of the ground, you just knew Brisbane was going to win it back. Yeah. So I, don't th I think the midfield experiment, probably been put on hold for a while now. <laughs> I think after that, you generally, it was a bit like Cam Rayner's game yeah, earlier yeah, this year yes. when he went forward against Collingwood. Yeah. And at that Great motion, you comparison. said, he's not going down back again now. Great comparison. Once you see that, I think you stick with it going And now, forward. you know what? Bree would never say this. Mm. She would never say it. But I reckon she just wanted to prove a point that she likes playing in defence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I'd go Jade Allinger from the game. She'd be my talking point, I reckon. I think 22 touches, was it, which was record high for but, her. By the way, I did give Jade three votes, so I'm, yeah, not, I'm sure. not slighting her performance here. I just wanted to talk about Bree. <laughs> well, and I think the thing, yeah, and I understand that, I mean, both major talking points. As mm. we said, we could go through the yep. the whole list, but I think um, it felt like the game that Jade has promised to, mm. to maybe play for a while now, and it all just sort of slotted together for her uh, on the weekend. And you think about um, one thing that's been consistent about this Lions team is they'll develop some sort of a superstar and you'll go, well, how could they ever replace Greta Bodie, for example? Mm. <laughs> how are they ever going to fill the Emily Bates hole? And and those were players who filled the original holes who were vacated mm. by, you know, maybe Caitlin Ashmore when she moved on yeah. or things like that. And and then along comes now another, it's just another superstar, Jane Ellinger, rises up to be the new, I guess, the new A-lister um, who, who's filled that spot. And honestly, if she can play like she did on the weekend over this final series, I think it it quite dramatically changes Brisbane's prospects. Well, they've got a great wing rotation. So Jade fluctuates a little bit between halfback and wing, but she did most of a good work on Saturday night playing on the wing. So they've got Sophie Conway, who's more your forward of centre winger, I guess. She does get back and help, but she's so damaging in that front half. Yes, yeah. You've got Orla O'Dwyer, obviously, has been an All-Australian, and, and you've got Jade Ellinger, and Jade is such a – She's such a good-looking mover. Like, when she's out in space, she runs so well. She's so fluent. And I'll tell you what she's done. She's not a super prodigious kick, but she's a very predictable kick now, I feel mm. like. Like, when she, you know where that – this sounds ridiculous, but you know where the <laughs> ball's going to go, and I think that's great as a forward. Like yeah, yeah. You pretty much yeah. know that Jade's going to put it in a spot. She's a very good, a very sound, and a safe kick, and I think that's great when she's forward of centre now. There's a lot of predictability about the way she plays, and I really like that she did get back and help defensively, which wingers are supposed to do, and and she did it on Saturday night. It was a complete game by mm. her on Saturday night, and she's had a very good season. She had the one little slip-up where she was sat out for a match, but aside from that, she's had a, she's had a really good season, and I think she'll poll very well in the BNF. 
Uh, let, let's cast our vision ahead now to the qualifying final against the Crows. Uh, it, it makes you hark back a little bit to the grand final a couple of years ago um, down yeah. in Adelaide. Um, you know, obviously one of the, the best days in the in the club's history that we've had. Uh, do you reckon that the win over the Crows a couple of weeks ago up here, do you think that's something Stars is going to draw on in the build-up to the game? Is that is that something you'd touch on to say, we have just beaten this group, we have this in us, or do they not need that that sort of extra belief, this, this I don't group? think they need it. They'll know it now. But they've obviously, that's that was just a couple of weeks ago. They've beaten Adelaide, they've beaten Melbourne. So they'll take what they did well out of that. Now, Adelaide will use that for sure because... Mm. They'll get a couple of players back that they didn't have that day. Adelaide, Sarah Allen back. They've got a couple of key defenders back, which will help them. So Taylor Smith, friend of yours, Dom, yes, like Taylor yes. had a big second quarter in that match and was instrumental in Brisbane getting uh, an advantage that they didn't relinquish. I, I should mention, by the way, and I said this to you, but Taylor was one of the supervising teachers who had to sit in on one of my sort of philosophy and spirituality sessions last week with the students where I was interviewed about my life and my my sense of these things. And I was looking at her the whole time thinking, like, it, next time I interview Taylor, she now knows a lot more about <laughs> who I am. She sat through 80 minutes of me rambling on in front of year 11 students. So that'll be – when we get her on the podcast next time, you can ask her about that, Mike. Ask her yeah, if, I will. if I was any good or not. But, Th- yes. Thoughts on Dom. <laughs> um, yes. But yeah, they'll, so they'll have a couple of key defenders back and, and Adelaide will go to school on what Brisbane did well in that match. Now, there was a strong wind that day. We don't know what the conditions are going to be like on Saturday. It'll be a, it'll be a totally different contest. But yes, Brisbane will have the belief and they'll mm. know that they're, as I said earlier, they know that their best footy stacks up. So I think, I think Stars will be looking for areas that they weren't quite so good at. He'll be looking for the things they can improve in for sure. He won't be yes. saying, hey, look what we did so well. Let's just do that again. Yeah. He knows that Adelaide will have, have gone to gone to school as as such and that they will be a better team this time than they were a couple of weeks ago at Brighton Homes Arena. Now, we, we do have a Luke Curran only moments away from pulling into the driveway. Uh, I think he's just finished a school day at the school he works at, uh, my old high school. So he he's going to jump in with us in a moment. But two quick things before uh, he does. And the first is I have to give you a little bit of time to talk about the Gold Coast. And and I know it's a Brisbane Lions <laughs> podcast. I know people will get unhappy about this. But you've been covering this club for a long time, Mike, waiting to see them yeah. make a final series. And it's a football club that has – they've known VFL finals and a VFL premiership this year. Um, but they've they've never uh, in the senior men's or the senior women's they've never known um, finals before, and now they do uh, as a, as of this season. T- talk me through um, your joy at seeing the Gold Coast in the finals. Oh, and I loved it. How they're handling it as a club as Just well. Just love it. Like I love they've genuinely earned this spot. Ten mm. games, they've won six, they've drawn one. Yes, there's inequities in the draw. I get it. People were hammering me on so or not. They weren't hammering me, but they were just like pointing it out. Yes. That hey, yeah. look at the draw. We don't know how team – there's inequities in the draw everywhere in the women's comp. It sucks. Like, I yeah, really yeah. wish it was, like, play each other once and we'd get – there's inequities in the men's draw too. Let's not get around that. Yes. You, you play half a dozen teams twice and if they're weak, you get an advantage. So, yes, but Gold Coast beat the teams they had to beat. They beat, I think they earned their way into this. They beat Essendon on Friday night. That mm. was a virtual shootout for a fourth or fifth place and a guaranteed finals. They won that. They – beat Richmond about a month ago and that was the same thing. There was two teams fighting for the one spot away from home. They won it. They've beaten Collingwood. They've beaten all the teams around them. Mm. And 
they're not as good as the top four teams. Like that's pretty evident. Like Gold Coast aren't as good as Brisbane or any of those other teams in the top four. But what they have shown is that they're right in there as best of the rest. So I think they've really earned their spot. There's clear development in the way they've played individually and collectively. And I love seeing those individual stories of Claudia Whitfords and Lucy Singles. And I'm not going to go through the whole because it is a, a Brisbane podcast, obviously. But I've loved seeing the improvement to them individually and collectively how they've expanded their game a little bit. They, they're moving the ball better this year. You can mm. just see that little – it's a little bit like when – Fags came to Brisbane, yes, you sort of started yeah, yeah. with, okay, we're just going to concentrate on contested ball. We're going to concentrate on defence, these little areas. And that's what the Suns did when their coach Cameron Joyce took over a couple of years ago. And then after a couple of years, they're like, right, we're going to start changing angles with our ball movement and start to mix things up a bit because we've got good forwards. We want to take advantage of that. I've just loved seeing that evolution and really looking forward to seeing them take on Sydney on Saturday night at Heritage Bank. And obviously, we would all love to see, you know, Brisbane beat Adelaide and get through to the, the prelim final. However, if Adelaide mm. do get the win and Gold Coast get the win, you've got your, your dream, Mike, of a Q-Clash final. I have. And you know what, Dom? I won't be here. So I'm not <laughs> no. sure. So, <laughs> oh, this this is the only way it can happen, though, isn't Which, it? You've no, been no. the curse. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although I was chatting to someone from the Suns before I came here saying saying the same thing, you know, if that if that sequence of matches was to unfold and that mm. Brisbane could host uh, uh, Gold Coast in a semi-final at Brighton Homes Arena in the second week of finals. But mm. if Brisbane win this weekend and Gold Coast win, there is a pathway for them to meet in the grand final, Dom. That's true. That's true. I've just said that Gold Coast aren't as good as a top four team, so that's unlikely. <laughs> but strange things can happen. They but can, it can happen. A, they can go on a Bulldogs 2016 they run. They could. Who knows? But yeah, a more realistic path is that one. And there, there might be a a Q clash final, so mm. in this in the semi final, so we'll see. It's just yep. exciting for Gold Coast to earn their way in. They will be missing their best player, Charlie Rowbottom, who's had ankle surgery on Friday. So that really sucks for Charlie. She's twenty years old and she's just such a great player and mm. one of the better midfielders in the competition. So it sucks for her, but amazing for Gold Coast and amazing for Brisbane. It's a great weekend for women's footy in Queensland. Uh, before we move on from AFLW and Talk Academy, I, I do have a question that came through from Greg on Twitter saying, my burning question from Saturday's AFLW game is what was Mike Whiting watching <laughs> so intently on his phone pre-game? Was it the NBA, a TV show, or a montage of uh, hated footy cliches? <laughs> <laughs> I saw this from Greg. Greg, <laughs> it's not as exciting as any of that. Yep. I was watching the World Cup cricket. Okay, right. So I was, right. I was watching New Zealand and Pakistan. <laughs> <laughs> because I've I just sort of uh, as anyone that watches cricket I've just sort of fallen in love with this New Zealand batsman Rachin Ravindra yes, what a star and he was in the 90s in the lead up to the women's <laughs> match and I'm like I've got to see if this guy makes 100 yeah 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 <laughs> and sure enough he made his 100 so I I, I had my head down buried mm. in that thinking god I really got to do some prep for this Brisbane Melbourne <laughs> blockbuster that I'm about to watch live but no I've just got to see if Rachin Ravindra makes his 100 and he did so mm. that's what I was intently watching and one more quick question Mike I mean win over the Crows win over the D's it is Brighton Home starting to become yeah. the, the stronghold, the cauldron we hoped for? Yeah, it was the fortress as the girls, yes. every girl at uh, – I keep calling them girls. That's not meant to be – I call, call, them, I call the, the boys the as boys, well. I call yeah. the men the boys. Yeah, so yeah. Please the terminology's take that, awkward. Please take that in the context that I'm <laughs> in it in. So yes. anytime one of the girls does a press conference, they always have talked all season about it wanting to be a fortress. And I said in the lead-up to that – I asked a couple of them in the lead-up to that, 
Adelaide match. You know, like mm. this fortress thing's on the line a little bit. <laughs> yes. I think they were one and three at the time yeah, sure. at the venue. But yes, wins over Adelaide, wins over Melbourne. That's huge. And it's starting to get a little bit of a feel now. That's yeah. that's that's how you turn this narrative. Now they'll get one final there, mm. whether it's a semi or a prelim will be determined by the result of this weekend's match. But there'll be a final at Brighton Homes and mm. we'll see if they win that. Then you start to get a feel of, okay, this is a genuine home ground advantage now. Yeah, absolutely agree with you on that. Uh, now, a couple of quick points before Luke Curran jumps in, Mike. Uh, we did say we were going to give our best merged Brisbane Lions team from the merger to, uh, to now this week on the show. Which seems we have Luke Curran joining us. So we might have to bump that a week because I think today's going to be Academy Chat. I do have yep. my team though. Have you got yours together yet? Yep. Okay, so I mean, we might fit it in, but I feel like we can save that, you know, when we don't have someone coming into the studios. I think that's yeah. fair. So we might we might hold off on that. Uh, I was surprised, though, how many non-premiership players I fit in. in the <laughs> yeah. I think I got stuck into you when you said you might have six or eight. I, I went over that in the end, um, getting in the squad. Where did you land with? I landed you know? in that range, Dom. Okay, interesting. Well, I'm just going to do a quick count here because I reckon I got one, two, three, four... This is fascinating. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's great listening. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven. Eleven okay. of my best twenty-two uh, didn't play in the Ooh, premiership. Your premiership stars are going to be dirty when oh, they listen to this, oh, aren't they? I think they might, but we'll get to that. We'll save that for next week. Also, uh, probably not next week, but the week after. We it feels like we got a fixture announcement date for the men now. Uh, was it the sixteenth of November? I think is what's been mooted around. So um, it does sound as though it's going to be obviously round one. Uh, I think is the talk of Friday night against Carlton mm. at the Gabba, uh, and then uh, somewhere obviously Easter Thursday will be a couple of weeks later. Yep. Officially kind of round four for the men, but officially round three. It's going to be confusing for a little while there, but round, yeah, it's a bit the, of a mess. The handy yeah. thing is it does mean the off season summer wait is one week less, and I think that's that's, that's a bonus because once you've had three or four games, you don't mind a buy. You can cop a buy then. Yeah. But to be able to get into it a week earlier, that's going to be a that's going to be a pretty special experience. So we'll have that to talk about as well, and uh, and plenty of people have sent questions in as well. I, I don't know if we'll get to those ones today. Uh, we are going to try to focus as much as we can on the academy chat with the man who is uh, just wandering in to the other basement now and taking his seat with us, Luke Curran. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Raw Deal. Thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure. Uh, it's so good to, to have you here. We wanted to have this chat all year about the Academy. I think, Mike, it might have been April somebody suggested to us mm. that, that you should get Luke Curran on and um, behind you there's a whiteboard with a, a name of guests who want to get it on. You've been top of that list for a while. So can't wait to jump into the Academy. But before we do, though, it's been a couple of years since you left the club. I think 2020 maybe around yeah, COVID time yep. you left. Can you take us into what your last few years have, uh, have been like since then? Yes, yeah, so for the past three years now, I've been working at Regina Lutheran College in the um, south and southern suburbs of Brisbane as the head of sport. So looking after basically all the sport from a prep to grade 12 that's outside the um, HPE curriculum. So mm. um, thousand, just over a thousand students at, um, at the school and, and I'm sort of, you know, just uh, everything in sport. So don't actually teach. Um, just do everything sport related, so it's pretty pretty nice gig. And uh, and Luke, how often do they tell the stories of Dom Fay around the hallways of Redeemer <laughs> Lutheran College? It was my my old school twenty ten graduate, and I'm, I mean, I imagine you know all of this. Yeah, I think <laughs> the, 
um, there is a, a, a Australian Wallaby that's um, played there, David Giffen, I think his name is. Yes, yep, yep. Um, we've got a couple of jerseys of his up around the place, and then mm. uh, your name is quickly followed by that. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, it's uh, pretty, pretty good company. So. <laughs> yes. I mean, they could tell the story of the time I was in the first 11 cricket team by default because only 10 people tried out. And, uh, and they gave me one over of my spin bowling, and I couldn't get a single ball on the pitch to the point where they had to, the umpire eventually said, was just stop. So, so just if stop. we lined up your ball, <laughs> Bowling and Johnny Howard's bowling. <laughs> How would we? Uh, I reckon, <laughs> well, I reckon John could teach me a couple of things. <laughs> Probably still today, to be completely honest. A couple of bounces um, been went straight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, can you can you give us a bit of a background, Luke, about your? I guess before you got into the academy, what was your relationship with footy and, and I guess the pathway you took? Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Country Victoria as a um, young young lad. So little place called Rumvale up in the uh, northwest of um, Victoria, about six hours north of Melbourne. Um, went down to Melbourne to boarding school for grade 11 and grade 12 at the, um, St. Bede's College in Mentone, which is uh, home of Brad Hodge and um, just around a corner from Mentone Boys Grammar and home of uh, one Shane Warren. Um, <laughs> so a really good um, sporting school and, and loved um, my two years there for, for finishing off in high school. And then stayed down in Melbourne and did, um, at the time it was called a Bachelor of Applied Science, but now sort of Exercise Science. Sure. Did that for four years at um, Footscray Uni in, in Melbourne. Um, and got to sort of do some subjects with some of the North Melbourne players and Western Bulldogs players and Nathan Buckley was a, a year <laughs> or two above <laughs> me. So um, had those guys sort of floating around the campus from time to time, which was pretty, pretty impressive. Um, and then after that... Um, after graduating uni, then I was lucky, lucky enough to get a job with AFL Victoria. So I was working in their head office in an admin sort of role. Um, and then at the end of that year in 2000, the AFL invested more money uh, for game development in Queensland and New South Wales. Um, so my boss at the time said, look, if you want to get out and actually do some coaching and get out and do something and there's some jobs going up north. So I put my hand up and was lucky enough to get a job on the Sunshine Coast. So moved up in January 2001, which is just Probably a freak of timing in terms of the, yeah. the three years that followed. <laughs> wow. um, so we went from yeah knocking on school stores, trying to get in to do um, AFL lessons, run AFL competitions in primary schools and, and high schools, and the standard response was AFL who you want to do what? Um, and then by the time of you know, midway through 2002, um, the tables started turning. We started getting schools calling us saying, "Hey, can you come in and our kids want to do AFL and we want to do AFL for our school?" So sort of in the space of 18 months, two years, sort of real sort of flipping. Um, people's, I guess, awareness and, and attitude towards AFL on the Sunshine Coast. Um, so I did that for four or five years on the Sunshine Coast in Brisbane and then moved into um, talent with Mark Browning and Bob Batty at AFL Queensland for a couple of years. And then at the end of uh, 2000, throughout 2009, um, the AFL in um, New South Wales and Queensland was doing a lot of work behind the scenes in terms of what an academy program might look like. I think the Sydney Swans were sort of the key drivers for that with Andrew Ireland um, at the time, who was the CEO. Um, so I helped um, some people in um, the AFL in head office in Melbourne do some background work in terms of looking at participation data, um, draft data, things like that. And at the end of the year when the AFL gave the go-ahead and the club signed off in the academy program, um, was lucky enough to then transfer across and start working for the Lions in 2010. Right at the start of the academy. Yeah. So can you tell us what it was like, how it was set up initially? Yeah. Yes, so it yeah. started, um, started with a bag of footies and a laptop and they said, oh, we want to run this academy program, so good luck, off you go. <laughs> um, had a few meetings with Gubby Allen, who was a footy manager at the time at the Lions, before he sort of um, departed about what it might look like. And then um, through chats with the guys in, in New South Wales and Queensland, uh, both the AFL and the clubs, 
we sort of started to work out what an academy program might look like. Um, and then Dan Collins, who came into the Lions um, as a sort of high-performance sort of manager, um, had experience in academies and other sports. So um, we lent on Dan for some of his advice and some information. We sort of started researching, you know, probably soccer academies and rugby mm-hmm. programs. Um, we had sort of two main sources for, for information and research and then slowly started to put the pieces together what an academy program might look like. So take us into the, I guess, the the functionality of it then, because from someone who, um, as I've made very clear, dropped out of elite sports very early on, um, played with Clay Cameron, he went on to the Suns, but I, you know, that was under eights and we've all forgotten that <laughs> except me. Um, but I'm curious because my immediate assumption might've been that, that an academy program involves having some scouts. Maybe you go and watch local footy, you find the stars and you say, do you want to come train at the academy? Is that is that how it works or is it more of, you know, you get word about who's good and, and you sort of try them out? How, how do you how do people get into the academy and, and is it the same as it was back then or has it changed? Yeah, at the time, AFL Queensland, we're running um, sort of regional talent programs around the state. Um, so AFL Queensland, the game development staff and talent staff are running sort of uh, regional talent programs where they identify the better um, boys at the time from club football and, and a bit of school football as well. And they would run some sort of um, regional training programs and state carnivals. And from that, they'd pick their sort of under-16 and under-18 um, state teams to go off the national champs. Um, also, the um, the school system has you know, a schoolboy program in under-12 and under-15. So that was sort of four main sort of um, programs that were running at the time. And then we sort of piggybacked on that from the, from the club academy and linked in with those programs and sort of um, leveraged there what they were already doing. And then try to sort of add another layer of um, above that in terms of getting the best of the best to come in and train regularly. It wasn't so much about playing more footies, more about training and um, education and development, both on and off the field, and trying to provide a sort of really specialised program that they weren't getting um, through their club or school or through the regional programs. How broad was your net to start with? I guess like where where did the academy go and how did and how are you able to service it all along with AFLQ I guess yeah there was a bit of work sort of how the state was going to be split up between the Lions and the mm. Suns um, I think if Gubby had had his way he would have gone further north but um, <laughs> the Lions end up with a region sort of basically from the Logan Motorway in the south of Brisbane um, out to Toowoomba and the Darling Downs region and then all the way up to Bundaberg so that was sort of the Lions Academy zone um, the Gold Coast ended up with obviously the Gold Coast and then basically from uh, Gladstone or Rockhampton up north through to Cairns and Cape York. So we sort of base it off um, talent, data and, and draft outcomes of where um, the drafted players from Queensland have come from for the previous sort of, you know, five to ten years okay. and not sort of just population, which would have obviously skewed in the Lions' favour. It was more so based on, um, yeah, talent outcomes that have been happening throughout the region um, previously. Now, obviously, you're not going to be able to get every prospect who comes through, every, you know, everyone who shows a little bit of talent. How difficult, because uh, I imagine at this stage, so much of it is speculative, especially if you have a couple of, a group of 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds who come in, and you have no idea what they're going to be like down the track. How difficult is it when you're running the academy to to try to make sure anyone who could be an elite footballer is someone you really do hold on to? Yeah, it's very speculative, obviously, um, trying to predict, you know, what the future outcome might be for an individual. So we were sort of, our message was, okay, we think you do these things well at the moment and these things sort of put you above your peers um, in the same age group. Um, we don't know what you're going to end up doing, but we can you know, give you an exposure to a program and, if you do the right things and, and keep progressing and keep developing, um, then who knows, you might become an AFL player. So it was very speculative. Um, and we knew that we weren't going to, you know, every kid that came through was never going to be an AFL player. So over time, um, once you started to get players drafted, we worked out sort of we'd have roughly 30 to 35 boys in our under-18 squad. 
If we ended up getting three of those drafted, we were happy with that outcome. So three out of 30. Um, but we, our message was if we don't get drafted, we want to send you back to your local clubs or state league football as a better person, as a better player. Mm. Um, and it's been pleasing to see obviously the players going through and we get drafted and play AFL and now AFLW footy. But also now seeing this large you know, contingent of those players that didn't quite make it that are now playing state league football both here in Queensland and, and elsewhere. It's just such a huge area to service, Luke, like geographically. You've got Brisbane, you've got Darling Downs, you've got Sunshine Coast, you've got f- how many hours north of the Sunshine Coast, how how many staff are sort of involved at the lines with an academy set up and, and what do these kids get out of it or how do you collectively get them together to get a benefit from the academy? Yeah, so not long after I started, we um, employed an academy coach um, uh, through Nathan Clark who was mm. a – a Queenslander that was down in um, Canberra coaching state league footy down there. So Nathan returned and was our inaugural academy coach. And we sort of had a group in Brisbane and a group on Sunshine Coast that we first started with. And then over time, um, as we started to expand the program and select and identify more players, we ended up setting up regional sort of hubs or regional squads in uh, Toowoomba, servicing the Darling Downs, obviously the Sunshine Coast. And then we had like a wide bay squad servicing Harvey Bay and, and Bundaberg. So Predominantly, most of our players were you know, Brisbane-based, but we set up these regional squads to provide uh, access to a program. Hopefully, it was sort of consistent across our region. Um, and then we started employing um, local coaches in those regions that we sort of um, mm. were uh, not so much worried about trying to win games, but you know, obviously wanted, had a passion for helping you know, young guys and girls develop and become better people and better footballers. So uh, through the school network and through clubs and through the AFLQ regional programs, we sort of identified some some really good people that had a really good impact on a you know, number of our boys and girls. One of the, I guess, commonly thrown around criticisms of uh, junior sports, and, and it's probably a criticism thrown in many different parts of, of life, is that there's favourites picked and, you know, maybe if you, your dad is the president of the club, you, you sort of get your name put forward for things like the academy and and maybe it isn't run purely on, on uh, I guess, an unbiased view of talent. But what's your response to, to criticisms like that? Yeah, we, we did get um, get that sort of semi-regular, I guess, but our, our view was that we would have a number of people that were helping us identify um, the players through, um, as I said, schools and clubs and regional programs. So um, over time, as we built up our network of um, academy staff and, and coaches, um, we relied on you know, a group sort of decision-making process to sort of you know, go along and watch a number of games. I think the most games of footy I watched in one year was only about 190 games of football from God. school to club to um, – watched to, about 50 and I've had enough. Yeah. <laughs> but some, of the, um, some of the other state carnivals you can watch you know, six games in a day over three or four days in a row. So mm. you get a really good snapshot of a you know, large number of players in, in one go, which is, was good, but long days and – and tough viewing at times we had to sort of you know keep moving around and not sit in the same spot and not get distracted by talking to people and, hmm. and sort of keep watching not so much the game but you sort of started noticing individual players and things that sort of caught your eye um, rather than watching just you know the game um, play out so but through our process of you know getting feedback from a number of different sources we felt we had a you know, pretty good um, pretty good grasp on who the better players were and making sure there was no one missed but also making sure we're fair and you know, certainly no favorites but Obviously, with the football, there's certain characteristics from certain players that sort of make them stand out, whether it's you know, height or speed or skill. So um, everyone's sort of had different attributes we're trying to identify and look for. Like in our part of the world, it's not traditionally the number one sport. That's rugby league. Like in southeast Queensland, and particularly, I'm talking here. 
when you've got under 12s and under 14s and under 15s that have probably got exposure to multiple sports, what's your, what's your sales pitch, I guess, to try and get them into the academy? And how many do you think you sort of lost over time to, to other sports around that age? Yeah, rugby league and soccer is really big in Southeast Queensland. I think soccer is big nationally from a participation point of view. So um, our view was that we could provide a really good both on-field program and off-field development program. So trying to help them obviously with the sport, but also setting up some good um, habits and behaviours that hopefully would translate away from football, whether it's, you know, time management in school or um, handling stress or things like that. Um, when we're talking to kids from rugby, we just say we can we can help you with your kicking and catching. Uh, with the soccer players, we can say we can help you with your, you know, spatial awareness and and kicking both feet and, and uh, a bit of the physical stuff that, you know, wasn't traditionally a thing of soccer. So we try to sort of identify parts of um, playing AFL that we could then say, okay, well, we can help you with this in your chosen sport. Um, if you come along and give it a go and then hope that they would fall in love with it over time and, and um, decide to sort of choose us over the other codes. Well, I, I want to ask you about one particular story where it didn't go your way and that was Kalen Ponga, yeah. um, who a, a lot was probably spoken about uh, a few years ago when he burst onto the scene as a, as a player with the Cowboys. Now, obviously, he's gone on to be a superstar in the NRL. Uh, c- can you take us into the, the, the Kalen Ponga story, how he nearly played for the Lions? What, what's the full story there? Yeah, yeah, Kalen played one academy game, I think as a 15-year-old, down in Coss Harbour at a carnival we had. So um, at the at one stage, yeah, we identified a talent ID officer to go and watch our um, other codes, so basketball, soccer, rugby, um, basically anything that's happening um, around sort of southeast Queensland, but more so some of the Brisbane private schools where the better um, athletes at, at that age were sort of um, going to school. Um, so uh, Queensland Rugby League ran a Melbourne Inga Cup and Cyril Connell Cup, which is like a mini rep season at the start of their um, football season. Um, and Ash Drake was our talent ID officer at the time, was watching uh, Friday night at um, East Rugby League and saw this kid playing and came back on the Monday and said, oh, this kid was, you know, was amazing and quick and stepped and um, kicked it really well and, and okay, well, let's go back and watch him again. So he watched him again and didn't know a name or anything at the time, but we sort of um, asked did a bit of detective work and found out Kalen's name and, and we basically just cold called the family. We, we knew <laughs> that um, he was going to be involved in some sort of rugby league program so we weren't going to get um, get his details through, you know, contacting other people involved mm. in rugby league. Mm. So we just basically um, cold called the family and found a number and cold called him and spoke to Kaylin's mum and she said it was she was you know, had a chat and then said, "Oh, my husband's up in uh, up in the Winter ups in the sort of the Bowen Basin working the mines. When he gets back, I'll you know, pass on your details." And Dad came back and gave us a call and so we said, "Look, you know, catch up for a chat and a coffee." And it just sort of progressed from there where. Um, they were open to um, trying different things and Callan was obviously um, very talented across you know, multiple sports through, through golf and touch football and, and rugby league and at the time he was going to church, he playing rugby union as well. So uh, I think he was in the Brisbane Broncos sort of talent program at the time. So a very busy boy but was happy enough to give it a go and we just did some sessions at the Gabba where he'd come in and just do some kicking and touch work and just kept it really simple but just sort of started with the basics and we quickly identified that um, he was a really, really keen learner. Like he was asked questions and you can tell he wanted to master whatever we threw at him. So um, that's always a good quality to have as an elite athlete. Um, so, yeah, we invited him to play a game and he came down across Harvard and played a game and nearly killed a kid in his first tackle and got him around the hips and folded the kid in half and <laughs> he didn't know what happened. Poor kid from the Giants. I think the Giants, he came in, I think it was, and then did a couple of things where he you know, got the ball and just naturally um, – 
read the play really well. We just played him off half back and said, mate, just follow the other guy around and if the ball comes near you, you know, try and get it. And he was just natural, sort of reading the ball and, you know, left his man and won the ball a few times and ran off and, and uh, showed his brilliant step a couple of times. And that was our one and only time we had him. And then things just progressed from there where um, the other code sort of got, you know, heavily involved and started making offers and we just couldn't compete at the time with uh, the money that was um, offered to him. So that's mm. the head start, Luke, that other codes have that uh, particularly rugby and rugby league can offer kids a lot younger, I guess, contracts than what AFL clubs can. Like, how how can AFL clubs and particularly the northern clubs, Brisbane, for example, <laughs> that's what we're talking about, how do they? How can you compete with that so that players like Kalen, you know, you've got an e- you've got an even chance of getting a player like Kalen in the future? Yeah, it's tough. I think rugby league can sign, um, the NRL clubs can sign. Um, boys that when they're 15 years of age on some sort mm. of contract. Um, so with the, the AFL system, obviously there's a draft there to try and sort of keep it fair across the country. So um, our view was that if you, you know, made it through to 18 and stuck with it, then we'd have um, – we had first rights to draft the player. Um, under the bidding system at the time was that we could match um, the bid with a, our neck, the Lions' next um, draft pick. So it wasn't sort of a you know, like for like. It was okay if you get picked – um, someone made a pick with you know, bid with pick twenty. When the Lions' next bid after that might have been forty, but that was enough to mm. you know, secure the player at the time. So uh, our sort of message was that you know stick with it, and if you get through and good enough, which we think we thought Kalen was, that we would have you know first crack at him, or at least have the opportunity to you know, keep him at the club. But you're right, um, Mick. It's very hard to sort of you know match it where you know, soccer and rugby union, rugby league. Um, the, the elite teams and elite clubs can sign players at an early age um, without the draft system so they can sort of identify him, keep him, keep him there pretty early. He can have made a lot of money by the time he's 20 compared to what he could have Yeah, playing. absolutely. We, our, our message was there was more opportunities in AFL across you know, the 18 clubs and more mm. players on a club list. Um, the average wage of an AFL player is you know, still the highest in the country for any sport, so... Our message was, you know, it might sort of take you a while to get there, a little bit slower to get there, but once you get there and if you make it, then that's when the rewards come um, off the field. But do you think you would have been a – I mean, it's so hard to speculate, but do you think you would have been a, an A grader at AFL level? I think you would have gone close, yeah, absolutely. As I said, he was a really keen learner, a really keen to sort of master anything that we threw at him, um, sort of a natural competitor, uh, but also pretty down to earth and pretty humble as well. So I think, you know, all very good qualities that would have seen him – had he come into an AFL system and, and gone to an AFL list, I think he would have sort of um, you know, done everything in his power to sort of give it his best shot and, and make it work for him. Yeah. Should we talk about some of the success stories, Don? Well, yes, and actually before, one that, that ended up being a success story, but another you did initially lose from the academy was Charlie Cameron, who yeah. I, I think spent six months, did he, in the academy yeah. before before leaving? Tell us the, the Charlie story because I imagine you thought you'd lost him. Absolutely. Only so, to see what he's become. So this was just, just, just when the academy started. Um, AFL Queensland was running a, a program called Rookie Search, which is for players or athletes from – other sports who might have been playing school football at the at the time that Redeem was playing school footy back in your day. <laughs> so, um, yep. you know, guys like Jesse White and Sean Hampson um, yeah. some of the names as we come through that program. Uh, and then when I was sort of in charge of the program, we were doing some sessions out at Marist Ashgrove. Um, yep. Charlie was born in there and um, he was sort of, um, I think he was only made grade nine or grade 10 at the time, but Lockie Keefe was grade 12. Um, oh, so yeah. we're there sort of right. more doing work with Lockie okay. um, and a couple other boys, um, that were boarders and had played AFL at Marist. And 
Charlie came along. We did a day at Cooper. We did some testing and he tested off really fast in the Digili in the 20 minute sprint. Was he singing country roads back then? <laughs> no, very, very, very quiet. Didn't say boo. Yeah. Um, very quiet, um, young Indigenous lad at the time. So I didn't say much at all, but um, had some natural athleticism, which sort of mm. caught our eye when he was playing school football and certainly on that testing day. And then we played, I think it was like nine aside with um, about 20 odd boys that were there. And, and obviously Lockie Keefe was kicking it, you know, 50 metres left and right forward. And taking marks at 200 centimetres and that sort of caught everyone's attention. But Charlie just did some really good natural things as well as a small forward and quick and, and agile. And and um, so we invited a few of the boys to do a, do a bit more training. Um, I think Charlie next year, that was sort of late in the year. And then the next year I think Charlie might have broken his arm or broken his wrist or something playing school sport. And that sort of just stopped him doing the AFL. And then obviously rugby season started at Maris and we sort of lost him to, to school sport there for a while. And then um, – Tried to sort of keep in contact, but it was hard with you know, the boarding house and a young Indigenous boy in the boarding house and trying to sort of go through different contacts at school and organise to get him places. So we lost, sort of lost him um, there for a while and obviously after he left school, he moved to WA with his family and um, thankfully enough, you know, picked up footy over there and um, and the, the rest tells itself. Must have been kicking yourself initially oh, when you saw him at Adelaide. Absolutely. <laughs> Killing absolutely. it. Yeah, yeah. It was when um, – when the recruiter sort of bringing up his name and I just knew the name. So I went sort of back through my notes and files and found his name and the rookie search data and and then sort of told our recruiting guys a bit about him. And obviously at that stage he was playing some pretty good footy over in WA and, mm. and was going to get drafted you know, fairly highly. So, um, yeah, it's disappointing he sort of went to Adelaide, but you know, it was very, very pleasy. He made his way back to Brisbane. Yeah, let's talk, let's turned out pretty well. He's Charlie. turned out all right. <laughs> too bad, yeah. Let's talk, about, right. let's talk about a few others that were in the grand final team that came through your academy. Let's start with Harris. Let's start with the co-captain. Like, when did you first spot him and how did you see him evolve until he got drafted? Well, Harris is a good story, Dom, in terms of, you know, keeping our um, ID process open because Harris didn't make it till he was 17 in the academy. Mm. So, I remember him saying when we first spoke to his mum and dad um, when he got drafted that, 16, he was just an average player and he's only about six foot one and playing a bit of basketball and a bit of club footy at Aspley and, and going to Padua and playing a bit of sport there and obviously went through a bit of a growth spurt, which helps. Um, <laughs> but then um, had a good year at the Aspley, I think it was the Aspley under-17 team and played full forward and kicked a bag of goals and kicked it to 70 or 80 um, goals in a season and, and um, just big, tall, leaning out for full forward and obviously really good hands. Um, so we invited him in to the academy and then within the space of sort of, you know, 16 months he'd um, from the day he walked into our first session, you can tell he was sort of going to have a fair crack at it. He was uh, really sort of um, really positive his attitude to sort of do his best and I mean, the running and everything. He just sort of you know, mm. had a crack and gave his best at everything because I think he realised it sort of he'd come into the program late and there was other boys that had been in, involved in the academy for a number of years before him um, that he was sort of competing against. So it's just his attitude was that real competitor and we now know um, he's a real key skill of his and key asset of his, so he's really competitive and um, worked his butt off and and did everything he could to try and make a go of it. But um, his first game for Queensland, I think Scott Borlase was filling in for Adrian Fletcher as a coach and we played, uh, I think it was Oakley Chargers down at Port Melbourne and and uh, boys were up, I think, at three-quarter time and then lost lost in the last quarter and a few of the boys probably had a bit of an average last quarter and um, Scotty Borlase gave a few of the boys a bit of a um, bit of constructive feedback, we'll say, <laughs> after the game. And uh, Harris thought that was his uh, under-18 footy done and dusted and mm. he did go back to club and play club for the rest of the year and then hopefully get invited back the next year. But just sort of kept working on it and then had a really good um, couple of games later in the year for Queensland. I think won a game at Werribee, took a few marks across half-back and 
that probably really got him on the radar for drafting from that point. So, mm. um, terrific attitude. So, so just a real um, hard work, and he knew that sort of when he came in, he had a sort of short window and was going to give it a, give it a fair different crack. What about the uh, the other end of the field and Hippie? Mm. Take us into the the yeah. Eric Hipwood story. Um, Hippie was another one who's again played um, another sport through um, his high school years. So he was a, a reasonable cricketer growing up. Um, I think when he was sixteen, he sort of played on a wing and. Was, might have been about 6'2", 6'3", and sort of, you know, the same body shape now, but just a little bit shorter, but played more of a wing and was sort of, you know, ranging, running up and down the wing and then kept growing and sort of um, ended up giving up cricket and was concentrating on, concentrating on his footy. And again, another one that sort of um, in his 18th year, um, again, was a real competitor and just did, um, worked really hard on his on his body and his fitness and he was travelling up and down the highway from the Bruce Highway, which was never fun at the best of times. So he'd come to training you know, a couple of times a week and play footy. And um, yeah, you can just tell, you can see it now. This is that, again, that natural competitor comes out and um, doesn't like losing. Um, mm. And some of our training sessions and drills, he'd get pretty cranky with himself and others. But um, that was just the, the competitive coming out of him. And, and again, just worked really hard to, to give, it a, give it a go. Another one from up the same part of the world is Jack Payne, um, who obviously sadly oh, didn't miss the, the grand no, final. No, just so I'm groaning because it's one lost from track and field. Another another yeah. one lost from track and field. <laughs> yeah, so Payne was a discus thrower. He was. Um, mm. Represented Australia at the um, Pacific uh, Junior Games, I think, in his 17th year. So he, um, he wanted to do that and we were happy for him sort of, um, to do that um, with the view that he then sort of concentrated on footy after that. Based in rugby union up at St Andrews um, on the Sunshine Coast as well. So, again, another one that was juggling multiple sports. Um, and, but again, a terrific size and terrific athlete, and which just had that really sort of strong, um, strong build at a at a reasonable age. And um, again, his 18th year, travelling up and down the highway, and we just sort of managed his workload a bit because he was um, obviously you know, he and Eric both sitting in the car when they're 200 centimeters is mm. is challenging up and down the highway. So we just try and sort of you know, manage their workload a bit. So they would sort of come down some weeks and then other weeks they would train locally on the Sunshine Coast early part of the week before they come down to Brisbane um, in the later part of the week. And um, and then they boys sort of got a bit of exposure to NEFL training as well and sort of. Um, Payne was always a, probably a little bit of a late developer and sort of probably didn't know what he was capable of. He was sort of you know, quiet and humble and sort of reserved guy a little bit. But um, uh, we saw him play full back in his 18th year um, for the academy in, in Queensland and the Allies. And um, a bit like Harris, you saw him sort of read the ball really well. His marking sort of really started to show um, in that um, that draft year. He took some really key marks and sort of read the ball really well. And showed he can compete physically with some of the bigger key forwards um, that are around the country. So um, mm. terrific family. And again, all the academy kids have got terrific families and very supportive families that sort of we got to know and you sort of developed um, really good relationships with the families and sort of work with them to try and sort of help help them and understand the process and explain things that happen throughout the year and the different stages and different selection and different teams where the boys go from academy to club mm. um, to Queensland and then the allies. So... Um, a bit different from the other states where you have, you know, club football, maybe just school football and then straight into Vic Metro. Mm. You know, some of our boys can play in five or six different teams across the year before they get drafted, which is a challenge. Uh, j- just before we touch on maybe another uh, couple of others, a-, a question I do have, which has been a peculiarity, and I don't know if it's just total coincidence or if there's more to it, but the the academy, certainly the Lions Academy, and we've just highlighted it, seems to produce a disproportionate number of tools. <laughs> yep. yeah. So that there hasn't really yet been, and you know, we, we can talk about Jasper and Kitty um, in a moment potentially, but there hasn't really been a, a, 
a midfielder that's come through the Lions Academy to that level. I mean, Ben Keys is, is doing brilliant things at Adelaide now yes. and had a good time at the Lions as well. But when you look at, at what Harris Andrews, obviously what he's done and what Hippie's done and, and what Jack Payne has done, there is this thing where there's a lot of tools and not as many midfielders. What, what do you put that down to? Yeah, it's probably kind of sort of pinpoint one thing. It was never something we deliberately sort of focused on. It just sort of happened naturally um, over the course of the academy program and even pre-academy with some of those guys, like I mentioned, like, um, Sean Hanson and Jesse Wide and, and some other guys sort of came through and got drafted to Queensland before the academy started. There was just for some reason that sort of some of the tools sort of, you know, had played other sports but sort of transitioned mm-hmm. across to AFL or sort of were playing AFL and other sports at the same time and just uh, the skill set they had sort of made them sort of really draftable and, and showed some you know, draftable qualities, I guess, as, as young kids. So, um, yeah, nothing we could really point point. Um, my sort of always comment when it came up for discussion was, you know, it's probably harder to play against, you know, some midfielders. There's more more sort of six foot guys running around playing midfield or halfback, half forward or wing. So you're competing against some, you know, probably a deeper talent pool um, as a you know, average size player or a midfielder. So um, a bit harder to sort of get through there. But get guys like Ben Keys and Corey Wagner and um, Isaac Conway, who has spent a year on the rookie list. Um, you know, Isaac and, and Keezy, I think Captain Queensland, who are, are good midfielders at their, um, in their junior days. But, yeah, probably a bit tougher to sort of compete against the numbers around the country that um, they play in the similar, similar positions. You'd, I mean, you'd take midfielders, wouldn't you? But it's almost the way you'd prefer it. I mean, not that you could, you'd be pick and choosing, but the tall, tall, quality tall players are, as we know, they're in demand and they're hard to find. So Absolutely. it's almost the way you'd rather have it, isn't it? It's funny. I remember watching, um, we're down in um, Sydney for a NEFL grand final where um, the NEFL grand final we played after, I think it was Essendon, Sydney um, had an AFL yeah. final at the SCG. Yeah. I, was, I saw that. Oh, I left at <laughs> yeah. halftime. I was covering the Sydney Essendon match and I remember yeah, right, walking right. out at about halftime in that Neefel grand final. Yeah, yeah, so I remember we were standing in the um, cricketers' rooms before the game, watching the, while the AFL game was happening and the Neefel guys were getting ready in the background and um, discussion amongst some of the coaches and, and footy staff and someone said to me, oh, you know, why haven't we got a, a Callum Mills or an Isaac Heaney? And mm. I said, oh, yeah, we don't, but we've got Harris Andrews and we've got Eric Hipwood and Colin Ballenden and Jack Payne and coming through, so... Um, yeah, I, pretty, I was pretty happy with uh, the players we had coming through. So, um, yeah, just different different markets and different programs and different players coming through. But, um, yeah, you keep some players, I think, are yeah, worth their weight in gold. And I said they're a bit harder to find and, and they take a little bit longer to develop. But, uh, yeah, I think as if you can lock down a, a full back, a centre-half back and a key forward as three local grown academy products, I think most clubs will take that any day of the week. I think there's probably a, a hope early on with the academy that maybe, uh, you know, 13 years in by now, you'd be seeing a couple of kids every year being drafted. And I know when we've mentioned a bunch of superstars who are grand finalists and, and absolutely best 22 players, but maybe the, the quantity of of that talent or quantity of, of players who go on to be best 22 isn't perhaps what the dream was 13 years in. Do, do you agree with that? Do you think it could be doing more or, or do you think – you know, as much juice is being uh, squeezed out of this uh, this oranges as possible. Yeah, I thought that time when my time there, we did you know we done pretty we did pretty well. It took us a, you know a couple of years to get up and running, and then um, once we sort of got a program um, embedded, we had some really good outcomes consistently over a number of years. So I think that was pretty good. We also say like like anything with sport, you know, the competition always gets better each year. Mm-hmm. So when we think we're going okay and starting to get some good outcomes, then you know, there was changes in talent programs across the country where. Um, you know, the programs just kept getting better and standards got higher and higher. And that was always a challenge is sort of uh, educating our kids that while they're sort of, you know, the better ones in the Lions Academy and maybe better ones in Queensland, they're still competing against the best kids from around the country. And 
you know, the numbers of kids playing in other states is obviously quite higher than, than um, Queensland, even though Queensland footy has grown um, year on year, which has been great. Um, they're still competing against the other kids. And, and while it's um, romantic and nice to have that sort of homegrown talent coming through, um, as a club, you know, a club would be um, not doing the right thing if they weren't looking at the best kids from across the country, you know, regardless of where, where they live, what state they come from. But we always hope that our academy kids have a little bit of advantage um, knowing the, the Brisbane Lions and being exposed to the different parts of the NEFL program. And some players got to spend a bit of time training with the AFL program uh, over summer each year. So we thought that it was a really good opportunity for some of our guys. It mightn't be quite been as comparable as to a kid from interstate, but that that intimate knowledge or that sort of head start they had with the club would hopefully um, you know, make up for some of the, the other might have been the deficiencies or some of the things that mightn't have been quite as good as other players. It might be a question best for someone at the club now, but it, like with the money that the academy gets, where would it best be spent in your eyes to, to help maximise the chances to get more players, do you think? Yeah, I think the, the key thing we always spoke about was the match program of the players in between sort of the ages of 16 and 18 and the number of games they're playing, the quality of games they're playing um, for our you know, Queensland kids compared to kids who are playing mm. You know, you know, private school footy in Melbourne or, or Adelaide or Perth or, um, you know, the Tasmanians now playing in the, the NAB League. So just getting the kids to have um, a really high number of matches or good number of matches at a really high standard so that um, they could learn and develop and, um, you know, compare themselves and sort of, you know, get feedback and improve. Um, so the, the challenges was, you know, finding the right number of games at a really good standard to, to give the kids the opportunity to, you know, play and test themselves and then learn from that and, and develop and, and hopefully approved enough to be considered you know, on par with the other players. So the match program was always a bit of a challenge. And then um, it was always then you know, how much time they spend their club, how much time they spend their cool school, how much time they spend their academy. Yeah, everyone wanted the players more. That was that was never um, never going to be easy to manage, but we were sort of trying to sort of manage it different parts throughout the year. We had them more over summer in season. They spent a bit more time in their clubs or schools. So... Um, just getting the right amount of time from a training point of view and and uh, the, the quality of their matches was really important. I think there's um, there was a sentiment often uh, when we were started out at the pod, uh, doing the podcast and the, the club was struggling a bit that when the Lions had on-field success, a lot more Queenslanders would try footy and a lot more talent would come through. We're now, what, the fifth year of the, the club being in or around the top four and, and a real contender. And it doesn't quite seem, I mean, we, we were just speaking at the top of the podcast about the Gold Coast having a, a number of high-end prospects coming through this year and in the years ahead, whereas there hasn't quite been the same talk. I mean, we've been very lucky with the, the father-son situation Absolutely. at the Lions, but, <laughs> but there hasn't quite been the same sense that, hey, watch out for next year's academy crop. There could be two or three top tens in there. or There hasn't quite been that sense. Is, and I, I, I don't know, it's, it's a bit hard when you, I know you left the academy a few years ago, but yeah. there probably is a bit of a... I don't know if frustration's the word or a, a sense of oh, restlessness from Lions fans. Do you, do you reckon that, that's just because of what Gold Coast is getting this year? It could be. Absolutely. It could, yeah, it could be. It's a large part of it. I think, yeah, the Gold Coast were, um, we probably set a standard for the Queensland clubs. We had sort of um, good success early and we're getting mm. uh, regular players drafted. And we used to sort of, um, we weren't competing head to head because we had our own zones that were exclusive from another, but we'd always sort of you know, catch up and chat and, and share ideas and share what we're doing and stuff and try and sort of help each other out where we could. But, um, yeah, the Lions had success early, um, what the Gold Coast did. And um, I think uh, what's happened recently is obviously COVID had an impact on um, both the, the academy program with, with staff cuts but also then AFL Queensland staff had um, were cuts with COVID cutbacks at mm. the time. So I think there's sort of um, some changing the way the programs have been run. Um, I haven't had much to do with it or spoken to anyone 
in recent about it, but I know there's some program changes of how they sort of set up the program and, and how they um, did their match program and how their training programs were set up. So I think some of those changes are probably still being played out and, mm. and hopefully um, the people who got now involved with Mitch Hahn and coaching the boys and um, and, um, and some other staff involved in the program now that sort of hopefully they'll get things back on track and start to get some good outcomes in the next um, couple of years ahead. There probably is a sense, I think, for many of us, Brisbane's a pretty massive city and there's a lot of sports-loving people up here in Queensland. Do you think it is realistic to imagine that, that you know, in time, maybe in a decade or two, Brisbane really could be producing a number of high-end prospects in the draft each year? Or do you, or do you not think Queensland is, in the short, medium-term future, ever going to be that sort of a footy-producing uh, state? Yeah, I think was, I think there's always the opportunity there to produce some you know, top-end, you know, top 10, 20 draft picks. Um um, there's, you know, as I said earlier, there's, you know, footy's growing in Queensland year on year now for a number of years, uh, especially post-COVID. So, um, my son plays at Cooperoo and I sort of watch a bit of club football, junior football on the weekends. And there's certainly are some talented footballers out there, um, across the youth age groups. So again, it's just a matter of, you know, getting into the training programs and developing them and, and then having the good match programs that the kids can sort of play and learn from and, and develop. So I think there, there's certainly opportunity there. It's, it is competitive now with the, the Dolphins coming into the NRL. Mm. You know, talk of another potentially Brisbane club in the NRL as well down the track. So Brisbane Roar sort of um, changed their tack and starting to play some young kids and playing 15-year-olds in their, their um, A-League team, which is fantastic. Um, so, yeah, it, again, the market just gets um, tougher and tougher and it's, it is really competitive for for Queensland kids to sort of you know, choose what sport they're going to play and then find a pathway through to the elite level. And one more before we let you go, Luke, and we are so grateful for you dropping by today and, and having this chat with us. Um, but I, I want to ask you about maybe your new perspective from the last few years. You've been working, obviously, in a high school and and people, I mean, there's a general sentiment that maybe sounds a little bit like old men on AM radio complaining, but <laughs> that young people don't want to play sports anymore. They're too obsessed with their video games and whatever else. Um, with, with what you're seeing, I guess, on the ground in, in the sports department at, at, a, at a school in Brisbane, do you have concerns about, I guess, the quantity of talent that's going to come through for professional sports? Or or do you think it is the, the best days do lie ahead still? No, I still think there's plenty of opportunities for, for high school kids around Brisbane. Um we're a smaller school, but we've got some um, you know, athletes that are, you know, state level for volleyball and, and other sports. So um, if, if the kids are keen and the parents are keen to support the, the uh, boys and girls coming through, there's there's certainly opportunities there. So um, the growth of private school football in, in Brisbane with the um, AIC um, school football program is just seems to get bigger and bigger and they're trying to attract some, you know, some athletes to come across and play AFL in term one. Um, the girls, the products, um, girls, QG, Triple SA, just endorse AFL as an official yeah. sport, which is a massive step forwards. Um, the GPS might jump on board one day if there's enough pressure from families and students and, and changing principles and changing the old boys. But um, <laughs> yeah, there is there is certainly enough, um, I think, talented athletes coming through. And again, it's just about finding them, you know, putting them into a good program and, and seeing what the outcomes might be. And in 2010, I did bring back the Redeemer AFL team for one season. I think I got injured three minutes into the season. It didn't go particularly well. <laughs> Is, does Redeemer have a, a team at the moment and how are you doing? Yeah, it's it probably coincidental. When I started Redeemer in 2021, the AFL came back in as a school sport. Okay. So uh, we play nine-a-side AFL across our high school and also um, as young as grade three. There we go. Um, so we play Saturday sport and we've got AFL in term one. So um, our students have loved it. I managed to convince Dan Rich to come out last year and, and do a few sessions, which was great. And kids love that. So um, it's a different market with sort of you know, a different sort of um, demographic for our school. But yeah, the students, students have certainly just enjoyed it. And some of the boys have sort of played rugby previously and 
um, the school stopped playing rugby um, before I got there. So some boys were looking for the contact sport. So mm. AFL sort of filled that gap and they can sort of take a bit of the frustrations out on the Saturday morning <laughs> and, and run around and, and bump into each other. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been nice to see. Um, go back to that sort of grassroots level, I guess, and sort of introduce people to AFL and, and sort of help out with um, with Cooper Junior Footy Club with my son and mm. and um, sort of bring back my sort of knowledge and experience and try and sort of help some some boys and girls go through there. Well, look, I mean, I want to say thank you for dropping by today, but I also think uh, as Lions fans, I want to say thank you uh, for your role in in producing a significant chunk of this this great team we've got at the moment. You look at, at the names, we only got through some of them, but you look at the the five who did play on grand final day or the th- four on grand final day and Jack Payne as well. Mm. Um, and, and that's become such a, a core part of the list. So for all those hours you put in, maybe convincing a, an Eric you put to do another run down the Bruce Highway or, <laughs> you know, maybe calling up Kitty Coleman and saying, have another go. No, stick with it stick with it just thank you so much from all lions fans i think that's been uh, incredibly helpful no pleasure and it's also been pleasing to watch the girls um come Absolutely. through and get drafts yeah. as well so that's probably one thing it probably doesn't get as much coverage that we sort of um when their lions afl club got the aflw license we sort of made a decision that um we should start a you know, female version of the academy so um gold coast were happy because they were sort of you know, knew they would be mm. soon after get an aflw license so they were happy to sort of um we both made a decision that we're going to run a program. We started with under 18s and then sort of slowly built the younger age groups. We see like girls like Nack Ryder and Bell Dawes mm. and Lily Possel Wade and, and Charlie Mullins now and Jesse Wardlaw and some others have come through and um, again played a key part of that Lions AFLW team. That's also been really pleasing to sort of we um, we sort of set that program up and got them started and um, and Craig was sort of coaching at the time before he sort of jumped on board. So it's been a sort of a good nice. Nice sort of feel to watch the guys, obviously, and um, spend a lot more time working with the guys. But the later parts of my time in the academy, and, uh, the girls' program was certainly sort of rapidly developing, and, and the girls coming through now playing some really good footy. And you know, it's to see um, like Nat being a vice captain and Harris a vice captain, yeah. um, getting players drafted is good. We said you know, getting drafted is one step, playing your first game is one step, but then you know, seeing players make um, 50, 100 game milestones and getting leadership roles and playing a real sort of um, a real role off the field and off the field has been really, really rewarding. Yeah, definitely. Well, look, for all that you've given to the club over many years and the part you've played in this build, thank you so much. And thank you for agreeing to drop by our high-tech studios here in Cooparoo today. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, stay tuned to the podcast. Next week, we will be talking all things finals. Uh, what is the situation after the first round of finals this week? And will the Lions be straight through the prelim or will we be playing a Q-Clash final uh, with Mike Whiting overseas? <laughs> we'll wait and see <laughs> on that one. Uh, we'll catch you next week here on The Raw Deal.